Hello. Hello. Uh, we're we're back. We have returned know, from whence we can. How I don't think we actually even had that long of a gap between what we <laughs> the last I time mean, we did an episode. Yeah, not really. It's been a fucking month, folks. But we're here. But we're here. Um, uh, I've I am I'm on Vex. I'm on the second Moderna. Oh yeah, Moderna Part Two. Yeah, Moderna I'm on my uh, I'm on my first round of Pfizer, uh, and I'm excited to, you know, to get to you know take on the vaccine in the, the second round uh, at the end of the month. Yeah. Um, so that's all super exciting. Uh, another thing that's very exciting: we are on location here at SIF. SIF. This. Seattle International Film Festival. Coming at you live, not even having to use a VPN this time. Yeah. <laughs> we just actually live in Seattle. <laughs> yeah, it it's out. fucking crazy. Um, so yeah, we saw a whole fucking bunch of movies and we're actually going to talk about all of them today. So this might be uh, a little bit of a doozy episode. So strap in, folks. Get yeah. yourself a snack. Get hydrated. Some of these we could even end up uh, revisiting. If slash when uh, a bunch of them get wider releases, ooh, that's a, that's a that's a thing to consider. I I will say, um, Brew did you also have the thing of like you your your eyes are too big for your eyes, and you <laughs> you you bought more movie tickets than you could possibly watch. Um, I definitely ha- I I definitely was scrambling to kind of fit the amount of movies. Um you know, that I wanted to watch into my schedule for sure. Uh, and I, I did procrastinate a little bit. So I, like I had to watch two movies in a row on the, the like last day of the festival. Yeah, no, I, I, I did a lot of double feature stuff. Um, yeah. I, I, I forced my boys to watch movies with me because I was like, this will force me to actually pay attention because I'm watching a movie with someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that always helps. Uh, and I, I definitely d- did not watch all of them. <laughs> There's definitely a lot that I missed, and I ended up making my decisions about which ones to skip based on like, well, which ones are probably coming to Grand Delusion later. <laughs> which yeah. ones are like maybe gonna be a hit and miss? Like this one could like really be a miss. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, my so my selection, my choices are gonna be kind of nonsensical. I literally like. I, I basically just closed my eyes and threw darts, uh, you know, to to like, yeah, I'll watch that. Sure. Whatever. Fuck it. Uh, so I <laughs> so some of these were kind of an interesting experience, but we can we can kind of chat it up about that. Yeah. No, this uh, is, I, I did realize that one of the big problems I have with uh, film festivals, besides the fact that they're usually so ungodly expensive and also you have to go there in person, which like who who has time for that is that. <laughs> Uh, a lot of mids. <laughs> I mean, yeah, a lot of mids and stems, which is like I, that's kind of the point. But it's like it, it really like <laughs> when I was watching the stuff with my boyfriend, we kept seeing the like all the all of the annoying pre roll stuff that they would run. Uh, sure, yeah, because it would be like fifteen twenty minutes of just like auto playing stuff that you couldn't skip until it would get to like the short film. And it would all be like cutesy tweet graphics and stuff. I was just like, yeah, they're, I guess that's who goes and sees film festivals. <laughs> but we did so, it. Yeah, we, we did the damn thing. And in the process, we only watched 
uh, one movie that we both watched, actually. <laughs> and that's that's our first film that we're talking about. Yeah. Get the hell out of here. Get, Get the, the hell, hell out. out. Hey, uh, why don't you make like uh, out and get <laughs> oh oh damn oh, yeah. um, should, I, should i leave i should i go i'm no, sorry you, you i didn't say it's fine. it's fine okay i was just doing a little doing a little bit uh, oh oh yeah, yeah yeah uh but it's from uh it is from director uh wong i fan i so i know i know we have like different things i liked it i did also think uh the back half uh fucking dragged yeah but i yeah. but i had, but i ended up really liking it and I think it's because it was like the first movie I watched out of the Sif package because I was like, this looks like dumb fun. That's what I'm in the mood for right now. Um, <laughs> and it was just such a like, I love when movies <laughs> love to be a movie. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. And that that's what this felt like. And it definitely is a thing where it's like, oh, I'm absolutely going to see what this director does next because the, their next film will probably be uh, better paced and probably a little less cringy. Yeah, kind of, kind of similar, uh, you know, experience here. I, I, I didn't end up loving the movie very much as, as a whole. Um, however, I absolutely did recognize this sort of. Uh, I mean, like, I, I recognize its sense of humor. I would say, like, the first half of the movie is like genuinely really strong and like really funny, and it's like it, it kind of, you know, goes at this kind of like breakneck pace. Um, and then the movie just kind of crashes into a wall and it gets it's it starts to kind of take itself a little seriously and um you know it kind of throws out the the sort of visual conventions of like the first half and then it's just kind of a zombie movie for a little bit. Yeah. No, um, I, I I was going to say a big thing I noticed is that in the back half of it the the kind of unique editing style it does where it's like I don't know how to describe it other than like maximalist Yep. Like it's it's it 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 isn't edited like a TikTok, but it is edited <laughs> like a movie that I would expect people who edit TikToks to make. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then it kind of goes into a more formal formal editing style with uh like some flashy flashy graphic. The the film was at its worst when it was when it felt like I was just watching another Scott Pilgrim movie. And that's yeah. that's what the back half is like. The back half is a lot like watching Scott Pilgrim again. To make to make a zombie movie, like there are there have been like recent really good zombie movies. So I would definitely point to One Cut of the Dead as a fantastic fucking movie, just for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Um, but you really have to be iterating really hard because it's like, man, the aughts was just sick with like zombie shit, and it was everywhere. And it's like, kind the moment is kind of over now, thank fucking god. But like that being the case, you do have to um. Kind of be making something that's a little bit more uh, sort of out there and a little bit more, you know, like kind of uh, iterating on like the concept and, and, and the sort of visual sort of symbology of zombie movie canon. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. And I think <clears throat> I, I had kind of gone into it with lower expectations, which probably helped. Uh Yeah. Because it's a thing where it's like, yeah, it's like we, the zombie moment is kind of finally dying, dead, undead. Uh, <laughs> but it's like a thing where it's like a lot of times people's idea of innovations is to just add more things that are annoying. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I went into this expecting it to be like, do you remember Anna and the Apocalypse? 
No, what is that? That was a movie that came out a few years ago. I looked it up. It was 2018, according to according to what I'm looking at here, is when it released in the UK. But it's a zombie movie. But get this. It's also a Christmas movie. And it's also a musical. Oh, that's fun. Uh, it looked it looked fucking it looked fucking intolerable. <laughs> I, did, <laughs> I, I did not see it. Uh, it. It looked like. It looked like the exact. Pro- oh, God, I'm looking at a, a, a picture of it right now where like it's from the trailer and there's like a splash quote and it's like Shaun of the Dead meets La La Land. And it's like, no, I don't need Shaun of the Dead to meet. I don't need Shaun of the Dead to meet anything. I could just go watch Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the Dead is already a five out of five. Like, I don't need it to go anywhere further. It's fine. Just watch Shaun of the Dead again. It's probably been a while since you last saw it. And you'll, you know, remember some stuff. But that's that's kind of like what I was going and expecting was that sort of like, oh, people, people trying to make zombies a thing again. And I think the thing that I really liked about it and why the first half is so much stronger is because the zombies were kind of like incidental. To yeah. like what the movie actually was doing, which was just um, basically uh, treating Taiwanese politics as a massive wrestling match and just be <laughs> and then leaning as far into that as possible. I got to say, man, there were some there were some real characters in this movie. There were like some there were some real like dead rising outfits here that I like, you know, that that's something that I absolutely have to appreciate is that like, there were a lot of like really distinctive and like really <laughs> over the top characters and acting. And uh, that stuff was all really, really good. It, it, this is like a, this is a director I would trust to like adapt no more heroes into like a movie. <laughs> like he just gets that, that sort of like, ex- like hyper caricature characters who are like immediately like identifiable and recognizable, but still like fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like that's sure. like that's like all of his characters in this. Um, huge fan of uh, Megan Lai's character, the disgraced MP who has to step down from Parliament because she did illegal wrestling moves on a reporter. <laughs> um, yeah, and good then it, shit. and is and is like. Basically being targeted by like a conspiracy to get her out of to get her out of parliament because she's standing in the way of uh, like nuclear power plant that was being that wants to be built in her hometown that is creating zombies. And that's kind of what I mean about the zombies being kind of incidental. Is that like once the zombies happen, nobody reacts as if it's a zombie apocalypse. They react as if it's like, ah, another fucking thing. (laughs) (laughs) And also. This was also the only film I can think of where memes were in it, and I I didn't immediately cringe. I cr- I gotta say I cringed. I I, I, I think cringed it's pretty hard at the JoJo thing. I was gonna say I think it's fair to cringe at the JoJo thing. The JoJo thing caught me off enough, uh, caught me off guard enough that I laughed. But the yeah. the inclusion of memes whenever they would reference like oh like the population's response to this, and it would just cut to like incomprehensible like memes was like (laughs) oh yeah those are really good that was like that was like so pitch perfect to like what political memes are like where it's just like just like completely like just uh like taking a a real thing that happened and then extending it further and further and further to the point where it's like you show it to someone and it's like a political cartoon made by a zoomer where you're just like what like everything is labeled in this but i don't know what i'm looking at 
<laughs> uh, I that that was like what I mean when I say like that. I, this is the only film where it included memes. It's like, oh, that's not cringy because it's like that's actually what the kind of memes that they're referencing are like, and they capture yeah. the style like perfectly. All memes are inherently cringe. That's fair. I think that's I think that's a but yeah. This movie did it really. This movie had like really good sort of replication. Yeah, it was really it was really accurate. The other one I watched was called, or one of the ones I watched was called Bad Tales, which I surprisingly liked it a lot it's got it's got a lot of mixed reviews from uh from italian from italian viewers on letterboxd i'm seeing but uh extremely extremely grim film i would very easily put it in sister company with the virgin suicides and like welcome to the dollhouse and like yeah uh like dog tooth era yorgos kind of stuff yeah yeah um so essentially the the premise there's like there's like a frame narrative to it which I didn't quite get at first where um the narrator whom we never see or meet is just talking about finding an abandoned like diary that belonged to like a girl and how it was written in green ink and how he kind of thought it was sort of frivolous but then as he was reading it he got like just super invested in like the stories of like what's going on like in this girl's like neighborhood and then mm he reaches an end of it and it just stops. Like she just stops updating it. And so he's like, well, what happened? So what we're watching is some mix of like things that are from that diary and basically him making up what's happening. (laughs) So the narrator only appears like kind of near the start and then like kind of near the end. And I think a little bit in the middle And I thought that that was like, I was like, that's such like a weird frame. But then I realized like the visual design of this film is that there's a lot of scenes that we are seeing as if we are like looking out a window (laughs) at our neighbors. Oh, wow. And so I really, I I always love, I always love like kind of a visual language like that. Yeah. And it's not like super consistent, but there's just like a lot of things where it's like, you know, like details or like actions are kind of pulled far back enough that you're sort of like having to like crane your neck to figure out what's going on. And I realized like, oh, this is a film in part about like, like neighborhood gossip. But also the way like neighborhood gossip like kind of looks the other way, like where it's like both obsessed with like being in everyone's business, but also like, you know, kind of plausible deniability of being in everyone's business. So that like everything that happens is like, oh, like, I can- did you hear? Oh, I can't believe that that happened. Um, <laughs> so it deals with, you know, like pretty, pretty dire themes. Uh, it, it's all, all of the kids in the film are basically like being used almost as like toys or tools by their parents to like take digs at each other or like take digs at other adults. The kids are like kind of like losing their minds because of it. There's a plot somewhat near the end of the film where uh, there's this girl who's like a teen girl who's uh, like pregnant. I want to say she's like supposed to be like six. She's supposed to be in like junior senior year of high school and like one of the boy main characters is probably supposed to be like freshman sophomore year so there's like a very obvious like visual like he is much more immature looking than she is um and she kind of is like just like antagonizing him like like antagonizing him sexually in the sense of very much so just like the same thing that i was saying it's like using using these kids 
as like ways to like get at people. Um, yeah. And so later, how that ends up becoming paid off is that when she gets on the bus after she's like had her kid and like is going back to school, he just tells her that like, oh, me and my friends are making bombs and we're going to blow up the neighborhood. <laughs> and she's yeah, like, dude. what? And she's like, I'm telling you because you have a kid. And so like, I kind of want you to like, you know, not be here for that. <laughs> and it's just like, that's just a thing that happens in the film. It's like, that's, that's a moment where like things just like start, like that is, that is very clearly like a, a point at which like it can be assumed that the narrator is like writing in their own ideas. It's just like, well, if I was this kid, I would blow up the whole neighborhood. So it's just like, oh, suddenly there's like a ring of kids that are just making bombs. And there's this great scene that like kind of embodies like the film to me where it's like one of the parents comes in sees the bomb on her kid's desk. We we see a long shot of this of the of the house and the police and stuff. And then we cut to like one of the other moms and she's on the phone and she's like, "Oh my god, did you hear about like what happened? They had a bomb. I can't believe." And like the parents said they had no idea. Like it was going on right under their nose. Can you believe that? The bomb was sitting right there on their desk. She said she thought it was a school project. Can you believe that? And the mom kind of like stiffens up. And then just goes like, oh, yeah. Oh, you know, what? I have to go get dinner started. And she hangs up and the camera kind of follows her at about mid-length thing as she goes upstairs into her son's room. And there's just a bomb. <laughs> there's just a bomb on his <laughs> desk. And it's like her realizing, cool. oh, that's also a bomb. <laughs> and so Hell she yeah. just gives her kids a bunch of money and tells them to go to the movies <laughs> so that she can oh figure God. out what to do. It's It's such a... <laughs> A very grim movie, extremely like upsetting and depressing ending. So like, content warnings for for that. Um, but I I I really enjoyed it a lot. It it scratched that kind of that same kind of itch that like a a good well made drama about like fucked up suburbia can scratch. Yeah, that sounds like something I want to watch. I um, I'll put that on my watch list for sure. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to talk about. Oh. I'm I'm very torn because of the green ink that they write at the start. There's a lot of like green motif imagery, you know, like characters will be wearing like starkly green clothes or like there'll be like really green things and shots and stuff. Uh, and I, I it feels a little cloying, but mm -hmm. I don't know if it's because of the green stuff that they're using or it's just the way they light things. But it makes everyone in the movie look like literally ill, like they're like literally like sick with jealousy, Ugh. which which I do really like a lot because it makes everyone just look kind of slightly like just like grotesque. What's a movie you watched? Film that I watched. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to try to more or less go in the order that I watched them. The first one that I checked out was a movie called I'm Fine. Thanks for asking. It was directed by Angelique Molina and Kelly Kelly. And I really, really liked it. Uh, it's basically this sort of dramedy about a single mother, actually a widowed mother, who is homeless and living in Los Angeles. She and her, she and her daughter are living in a tent. She's working Uber Eats. She has like a second job. Uh, she has like, she has to have her kid, you know, stay with a friend during the day. Um, and all of this stuff. And the movie's basically about her journey to kind of try to uh, get the money for, a, for an apartment deposit. It's uh, supposedly based off of the real life experience of one of the filmmakers. I think it was Kelly Halley. It's 
it's really good. I, I, I would say that, like, probably my favorite aspect of it is definitely the performances. Uh, I usually am not a big fan of movies, not for not for any really particular reason, but it's just like I, I, I've watched a lot of movies like this and I'm, I've always been like, that was OK. Uh, but movies where it's just like, this is what this life experience is like. And it's, you know, it's just like someone's day or something like that. This one uh, breaks away from the mold by being like, you know, really full of personality, like really, really good performances from basically everybody. Uh, and the sense of place, like, it's really, it's like a really, really, really Los Angeles movie, for sure. Like, you see, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of different, like, areas, and it's, uh, it's just, it, it just makes it, it just makes it look really, really pretty. She has this friend, Brooklyn, who, who's played by Brooklyn Marie, who is another, just, basically just, like, another fantastic character. Um, they actually hang out for a little bit, but one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when they, they're, like, Hanging out and Brooklyn's like, hey, I have weed. Do you want to smoke <laughs> weed with me? And Kelly, Kelly Kelly's character is just like, uh, I shouldn't. I won't. I got to go get my daughter. I got to do all this stuff. I got to make sure I, I get my deposit to the apartment. guy. All right. I'll just have one puff. And honestly, uh, at this point, I have to relate a personal experience where I was at Comic Arts LA. And I was. <laughs> okay. Uh, I was at this, I was at this sort of like after party, um, with a couple of people, uh, you know, it was, it was kind of like a tattoo party, uh, shout out to anyone <laughs> who might've been there who's listening right now. Basically, uh, point being a Los Angeles, I think a Los Angeles local, I might be misremembering this actually, but I was offered a vape, um, while I was getting tattooed and I took a singular puff, like a very small puff. And I was annihilated. I was destroyed. Um, L.A. weed is different. And uh, basically, she she takes one puff of the weed, allegedly. Or, or, like, it kind of cuts away. Maybe she took more than more than one puff. But, uh, you know, off screen. But basically, they are both, like... It, it hard cuts to them both. Kelly Kelly's character and Brooklyn's character just, like, laying in this, like, slide in like a children's playground. Yeah. Uh and they're like both just like stoned out of their mind. Jaberhead, what else have did you see at the Sif festival? So I also saw uh Sensor. Sensor Hmm. I You ever watch a movie and you're like, I didn't like that movie. But I will see the director's next movie because there's a lot of things I really liked, but it just didn't come together here for me. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. That, that's kind of how I felt about it. So Censor, uh, Censor and Nasty are both about the video Nasty era in the UK in the 1980s. So like, mm. like that was when like, you know, they were releasing horror films straight to tape. And their whole thing was that they would be like, you know, like, oh, like blood and guts, gore and sex, and all the all the dirty, dark stuff. And there was like a whole whole moral crisis and a panic about it. Um, yeah. And so she, uh, the film Censor is about um, Enid, who is uh, a film censor, uh, whose job is basically that she watches video nasties and then like notes down like here's. 
here is what you need to cut from it uh, in order for us to make this run. Uh, otherwise, like, you know, like we won't approve of it and we won't approve of it to go out there. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a lot of like very obvious riffs on like popular video nasties. There's like, I feel like there's, there's references to like driller killer, but it's called like driller thriller, you know, like that's, 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 oh, that's yeah. super heavy and nasty. Um, and then, so first and foremost, biggest flaw of the problem right off the bat is that it's an hour and a half long movie. And the first 30 minutes of it, if I showed to someone, they wouldn't know it was a horror film. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they need to bring back the like something scary happens at the start of the film so that there's tension during the buildup. Yeah, because it just like does not work here. It just it just seems like it's a movie about a woman who's like weirdly tight, tightly, very tightly buttoned up, but whose job is that she watches video nasties all day. And like the the kind of bit is that as she's watching them, you know, her coworkers will like either be like, "Yeah, I thought it was fine." Like, "Why are you being so stuck up about it?" Or like, they'll be like flinching and they'll be like, "Oh, how can how can you just watch this stuff?" And her whole thing is just like, "I just want to make sure that I get it right," because because her yeah. notes will be things like, "Cut two seconds off the end of the eye gouging scene," like and like that's kind kind of played fairly straight and well in the film. Is that like? the way she talks about the gore and imagery in the films that she watches is very just like matter of fact, like very obviously disapprovingly, but like, I think it's fine, but you're going to have to cut um, the, 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 the the beheading scene is simply too realistic. You're going to have to cut it shorter or make it more obviously fake or or we cannot approve this. Like very, very stuff like that. And I like that. Um, The horror element of it comes from she has this weird baggage about her sister who went missing when they were kids um, and is assumed dead. And mm. her, she watches a video nasty that seems eerily reminiscent of the experiences in which she went missing. And so she becomes obsessed with these video nasty, like this like producer and this director, and basically becomes convinced that her sister is an actress in one of the films and that the actresses are going to be killed for real and that her sister is going to get snuffed and so she has to save her. Damn. Uh, Great premise. Basically, outside of those first 30 minutes and the last, like, 10, 15 minutes, I couldn't really tell you what happens in between because it was just really (laughs) boring. (laughs) And there's like oh, a scene God. where she shoves one of the she, there's a scene where she shoves one of the producers over and his head gets impaled on a on a trophy, and it's very like mm-hmm. video nasty effect style, um, but like that's it. Like I just I just I just didn't think it worked. I, I I thought it was, I thought it was a little too uneven. I kind of wish it had leaned way more heavily into a sort of video nasty aesthetic because it's obvious that part of the film's like concept is that it's drawing on the idea of the 80 sensors that like oh watching this stuff will desensitize you and like will make you commit crimes in real life and kind of part of mm. part kind of part of the film is that like no it doesn't really work that way what's going on is that like enid has just always been like this and she's been using her sensor job as an outlet but now that she has this thing that she's obsessed with it's it's coming out like more more violently uh what uh what else did you watch? Um, so I made kind of a boo-boo um, in, in, insofar as my 
you know, kind of shooting blindly methodology of, of selecting movies, mm-hmm. uh, I accidentally watched a documentary. Uh-oh. And Wah, wah. I I know that we are you know we don't we don't typically focus on on documentaries that's kind of not our um you know our 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 focus of of interest uh however the thing also the thing about this film is that because I did not know that it was a documentary when I bought my ticket I also did not know it was a documentary until about I want to say 30 or 40 minutes into the movie <laughs> that's that's insane. <laughs> yes. Uh, the film is called Downstream to Kinshasa. Mm-hmm. Um, it ended up being kind of a fantastic film just because of the way that it like, again, like it it, it replicates this sort of this sort of like fictional, like long journey narrative, um, you know, that that has appeared in, in so many different uh, iterations and, and, you know, renditions throughout throughout all of linear time. But it is talking about something very, very real and very, very, uh, you know, close to the hearts of the people involved and, and like, something really, really kind of deeply relatable, but also, you know, uh, uh, kind of these deep horrors that you are a little bit unfathomable. Um, so, basically, it's a movie out of the Dem- Democratic Republic of the Congo. Mm, okay. Uh, it is... Shot partially in Kisangani and partially in Kinshasa. Directed by uh, Diodo Hamari. Um, and Kisangani is a, a bit of a kind of a smaller city from what I understand. Um, it is the uh, grounds where the Six Day War was fought in the year 2000. Uh, the Six Day War was this uh, series of... Reading off the Wikipedia, a series of armed confrontations between Ugandan and Rwandan forces, uh, you know, in and around Kizangani. It had an unbelievable death death toll. It was one of the most lethal conflicts, you know, basically, you know, something like a thousand people died and and like 3000 were wounded. Back in the day around when it happened, the government promised... um, a billion dollars to be allocated to people who had been uh, kind of affected by this war um, because most of the people in this movie uh, have lost one or more limbs. Oh. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So it kind of chronicles their journey to the capital city of uh, Demrep of the Congo, uh, Kinshasa where they protest to kind of get, you know, get that funding and get that support from the government, which they never, ever, ever got in the 20 years that it's been since that conflict happened. Um, and the other thing about the movie, and the, the thing that really contributed to me having kind of difficulty determining whether it was even, you know, whether it was like a documentary or whether it was just this like loosely fictionalized sort of thing uh, is is that there's like okay there's those those sort of obvious documentary uh, segments that are just like people talking to each other and it's you know blah 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 blah, but then there's these like stage performances of these like scenes uh, and some of them are kind of like loosely about the conflict and and like there there's there's one for example where um you know one of the guys is like stuck under all of this like rubble. And he's like calling for help from this woman who's just like lost both of her legs and they're both covered in ash. Uh, but it's like on a stage. It's like this very Samuel Beckett kind of thing that's happening. 
um, those scenes were fucking cool as fuck. And, and like, also really kind of, you know, kind of central to what the movie is trying to do because the movie's, you know, the movie is, like, not afraid to kind of include all of this, like, mundanity and, and this, like, joy and, like, the love between these people. Uh, and, you know, without kind of directly alluding to, like, the violence and the horror and the pain of that six-day war, they're able to kind of have these, like, lightly fictionalized kind of allusions to some of the things that they went through that I think is all the more effective in, in that it's like, you know, I, I think, I think when some movies try to like replicate this sort of like unthinkable horror, you, it just gives you, it just creates this like further distance from it for the viewer where like you, you look at it, you look at people being mowed down and like people losing limbs and shit like that. And you just, kind of there's this kind of emotional disconnect whereas here it's like this very it's like it's made very personal and and you're really confronted with the sense of loss and and uh you know the trauma uh but in in these like really artful sort of ways that this that this town of people is basically electing to you know to to perform yeah uh and it's it's all it's all really beautiful and really really interesting the actual kind of um journey itself is like intensely exciting and like really stressful like there's all of these scenes of people kind of bickering with each other about like food and like where to sit where to stand and where to sit because there's like a bunch of people crammed onto this tiny tiny boat and they're going down river to you know to the capital city and like they get hit by this storm and there's all these tarps that are covering them, but the tarps are getting like blown off and everything's getting blown around. I can't recommend that one enough. Downstream to Kinshasa. Um, yeah, just really, really good. I watched a local movie, Potato Dreams of America by um, mm-hmm. Wes Hurley, who is a local gay filmmaker. And uh-huh. uh, Huffington Post writer, which should have been my red flag, but I didn't see that one. Oh god! Um, and I, I had lo- I'd seen him, and they're like, "Oh, he's the creator of like Capitol Hill, which is like an online, uh, like gay comedy horror soap opera." And I was like, "That sounds fun." And it's um, it's and it's based on his experiences as a Russian immigrant, as a gay Russian immigrant. Uh, that sounds cool. Sure, I'll watch it. And I have a lot of opinions about it, <laughs> mm. but let's start with um, the biggest thing I had, which is that there is a twist ending uh, in this in this film. Uh, and literally the second it happened, I paused the movie and looked up if it actually happened in his real life because I was like, if it did it, boy, <laughs> boy, howdy, am I gonna have some stern words? Um, Brew, can you just go ahead and uh, click the click the link uh, to the BBC article about about his life that I sent you? Um. <laughs> so I. So here's so here's the thing. Put that put that in the put that in the about. Read that article because his life is really interesting, and uh, all of his mom, who's like a a dope Russian woman uh-huh. like all of her all of her hits are in that article and that article is is great it's also better structured than the actual film <laughs> uh, in part because that thing is at the top 
So it's a thing that you know going into reading the story. Yeah. And not a thing that just happens uh, after we've been watching uh, his stepdad act like a an asshole, abusive misogynist. <laughs> I see. Uh, and so I... I don't want to be like, you can't tell a story about something like that, especially, you know, if since it actually happened. Of course, that this is a thing that happened. For for people who, who did not scroll down and click the link, um, the headline is, I hated my homophobic stepdad, comma, then he came out as trans. Yeah. Um, so I will say, the film... The film handles it very didactically, and that's that's kind of my problem. Like one of the many problems I have with the film, mm. so it doesn't treat it as like, oh, of course you're a misogynist, you're a trans woman, um, <laughs> but it, it is a thing where it's like having it appear in the film as a twist. Like immediately, I was like, oh, these vibes are like weird, and then especially because it's like his mail order Russian wife and her gay son who was like in the closet and repressed because of him just kind of like immediately are like, Oh, okay, cool. Like beef squashed, which is like, sure. But also like kind of feels like a weird thing to like a weird takeaway <laughs> to, yeah. from that kind of a story. And so that's kind of why I said like the article having that at the top is actually better because if that's something that I think you know going into the film, that gives you more room to kind of fold in this idea that the stepfather is struggling with something and that that's why he's so controlling towards his his family. I mean, I, I, I really fucking hate the whole thing of just like you, yeah. you transition and you become somehow a different person and like. Yeah, yeah. Someone that's like that's what I mean about it being didactic. Is it's like, oh, it's fine. Like now you're better, and it's like I don't know if that undoes being a shitty partner <laughs> to someone. I'm a little suspicious of this story still, but it's like, but whatever. I'll I'll, I'll take his word at it. You know, I I believe Russian filmmakers. Uh, <laughs> but he's like the 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 story he gives in it is that it's like she married uh his mom because she was a russian christian and so he is uh she assumed that that meant like russian orthodox christian and so it was like oh i had tried to come out once before in a previous marriage and that's why that marriage fell apart so i was like maybe i just need someone stricter and so then it becomes like when she's actually like not very strict she's like super liberal <laughs> He, the 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 Wes Wes's mom in this film uh, fucking rules, and assuming she's based that closely on his actual mom, uh, she fucking rules. There's a there's a cute scene when he comes out to her and he's like crying, and she's just like, "Oh, that's it," <laughs> and he's like, "Mom, what?" And she's like, "Everyone, she's like, everyone's a little gay." <laughs> I have I have all my girlfriends all the time, where sometimes I see them, and I'm like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's just like, Mom, I'm not a little gay. I'm like full gay. Yeah. And she's like, Oh, well, that's fine. <laughs> like it it's such a it's such a cute, like, like Russian mom kind of thing. I'm just like, oh, that's fine. Everyone's a little gay. And it's like, well, I I'm not a little gay, I'm gay. And then the mom's like, oh well, that's fine. I don't care. <laughs> like, whatever. Like, whatever. <laughs> um But yeah, so it's like, it's a weird story. There's a cute bit in it that apparently is also based on real life where it's like they end up getting a divorce 
and the reason her mom gives or his mom gives is like, oh, the trans thing I don't care about, but she wants to do karaoke every night and it fucking sucked. And I hate karaoke. <laughs> um, it's just That's weird. Valid. It's just weird. And the way it's folded into the film is really weird because there's nothing about the characterization pre-transition that sort of sets that up. So it is treated as a twist ending. And then kind of is just the film kind of like falling apart. I also don't like it because I don't want to tell a Russian immigrant how to feel about, you know, his home country. Sure. I do (laughs) want to say that at a time of like increasing attempts to relitigate the Cold War. Yeah. Having a movie where 80s Russia is portrayed as like super backwards and homophobic and repressive. And it's kind of implied that Russia is still the same way forever. And then portraying 90s America as uh, Obama era America. (laughs) Oof. Kind of. There's no joke. Literally, there is a scene when he when he comes out to his mom, where she takes him to meet local gays, and this is in the '90s, where one of them straight up says it gets better, and I was like, nobody said that, nobody said that in the '90s. It fucking, it didn't get better in the '90s, and it didn't get better. <laughs> that so it's like there's a, there's there's a specific choice in the film and the way these things are presented that that is why I'm like, oh, like it's I don't care that you you know obviously had an awful time in Russia and that's why you and your mom moved here. That's not a problem. His, uh, his mom is portrayed as being a nurse at a prison. And so like having to be basically implicated in cover-ups of murder mm. or they would murder her son when he joined the military. There's stuff like that. That's all real. That's fine. But there's like a, a thing that kind of sets up this setup and payoff where in Russia, you know, the kids are being anti-Semitic for a group photo and uh and also like homophobic and they make a joke about like oh every all gay people have aids and i'm like you know like why that stereotype happened right <laughs> cuz it the contrast is you're going to try to be like unlike in america <laughs> i got bad news for you what was going on in america in the 80s yeah yeah but then it's also the payoff in that, too, is also that, like, you know, he comes to the um, 90s and it's 90s Seattle. So whatever. It's probably more liberal around gay stuff. It is very weird to me to introduce that thing early in the film and then center your pseudo biographical stories, characters, kind of self-actualization uh, as an adult or as like a young teen through renting the living end by gregoraki and to not include any discussion at all about 90s act up oh god yeah there's there when he gets to the america in the 90s aids and act up and political activism that would have been in the move that is in the movie the living end yeah never makes an appearance in it and like that to me is why it's like that is a choice that I feel like is using real things that happen to you to kind of present like to kind of present like this thing where we're being critical where like, you know, we, we are being critical of in a larger propaganda sense of Russia and Russian homophobia and violence. 
but you're doing so by literally pretending as if 90s America was like not that bad to be gay in. It yeah. And it probably it probably was better to be gay in America in the 90s than in Russia in the 80s. I'm not going to deny that. But to not have any like to only portray homophobia as just being sourced from your own stepfather and then have that be revealed that be overcome by that person transitioning and thus there's sort of being a dropping of like homophobia entirely is like i don't believe that that is the experience that you had i don't believe that that is an experience anybody had and it sucks because there's things that the film i really like i love that when he's in russia it looks like a depressive stage play Mm -hmm. and i love that when he moves to america it looks like clueless (laughs) that's funny but when that is also folded into narratives that very very helpfully re like reflect what happens to also be like state propaganda lines about Russia. Yeah. I kind of look at the fact that you work for Huffington Post in the bio and go, hmm. <laughs> I do feel like I probably would be a lot less measured in my in my uh thoughts if there wasn't like a like some chance that I will run into this guy at Pony. <laughs> <laughs> Wes, uh I hope you don't have shooters. Yeah, Wes, you're a local filmmaker. You probably look up people who talk about your film. <laughs> Better luck next time. <laughs> Work on I'll it, you, Wes. I'll buy you a drink. <laughs> <laughs> so my roulette style of choosing movies to watch uh, failed me with this one, utterly. Oh, oh no. Um, I watched a film called When I'm Done Dying. Uh, it was a. It is a film out of Istanbul. Um, about a, basically it's about a 19 year old SoundCloud rapper and his friends. Um, oh, that one I was like considering, but I, I don't know. The vibes were off. It, hey, you were right because, <laughs> uh, like there were a couple of different reasons that I had to, had to kind of turn off the movie. So there's the synthe- there's this synthetic weed that everybody is smoking called bonsai. bonsai. Yes, bro, I'm bro, I'm off that shit that crashed grandma's computer. <laughs> <laughs> there's kind of some interesting things about that, and and um, you, you know, like a lot of people start like overdosing, and it's um, this kind of scary thing. Uh, and but like, well, I mean, like the rest of the framework of the movie is like this rags to riches kind of thing where it's like this guy that's like struggling with drugs and he's kind of whiffing all his chances because he like he gets studio space with a really famous musician but he shows up high and like all of this stuff and part of what kind of made me so i didn't finish this movie (laughs) um part of it is like it's really really didactic it's like you've you have seen this movie before uh dressed up in different colors and different characters and different genres and all this stuff um but it's like pretty beat for beat, like every other sort of like, oh, I'm going to be famous, bro, uh, kind of, you know, Requiem for a Dream-ish oh, okay. yeah, yeah, sort yeah, of yeah, stuff. Yeah. Uh, and uh, like, like for example, he like meets a girl and he like starts, he, he like meets a girl on, a, on the street and he like starts talking to her. Uh, and she's like, oh, yeah, I'm a musician. I do electronic music and I, I produce and I can produce your rap songs for you, uh, my my boyfriend. 
uh, and uh, as far as like that plot goes, it just kind of keeps chugging, and it's like him making all these bad decisions, and him being like a really shitty, like minorly, like kind of abusive and controlling partner. Uh, and I don't, I really just don't love to view that <laughs> personally. I mean, like I don't know, it was this really unartistic sort of um, kind of. Uh, I, I don't know, just like really no frills presentation of just a guy being a kind of a shithead uh, and being more and more of a shithead and like making, you know, more and more bad decisions and blah, 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 blah. Already usually not my type of movie. But the breaking point that I hit um, was about a, a, a little more than halfway through, I want to say. Maybe I'm, I might be wrong. Uh, but so the, they talk about Tupac a lot in this movie. Um, and... That's that that never a great never a great starting point. Uh. <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't always, you know, uh, you have to, a little bit shaky when when because like, you know, Tupac, Tupac, obviously very, very good. Uh, but I, you know, some of some of Tupac's kind of messaging and like his uh, intent gets a little obfuscated. Uh, so, yeah, so so they're they're obviously you know big fans of Tupac and they talk about Tupac and he comes up in the movie and he blah 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 blah. So the main character, while he's on Bonsai, um, well, I, I should also preface by saying that there's some pretty cool uh, animated sort of uh, there's these like animated segments that are meant to be things that are happening while a character is high on on yeah. Bonsai essentially. So uh, the animated sequence are very like reminiscent of Johan, which I thought was pretty cool. Who who did like some stuff for Animatrix? He did the Breaking the Habit video for Linkin Park. Okay. Um, and so that stuff was all fun up until the main character. He's like on bonsai. He's walking around the city of Istanbul. He sees a mural of Tupac that's like someone painted up on the wall, and it becomes a cartoon and. Uh, or the mural becomes this like moving cartoon and Tupac starts talking to him. Uh, and I just had to shut it off. I, I, I couldn't like, we've already had Tupac hologram discourse. We don't need to have this dead real life man be kind of soliloquying and, and, and sort of just like, Oh, here's where you're going wrong. You know, here, you, oh, you want to be a rapper, but you can't blah, 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 blah. Like this very, very typical, just like monologuing at him about his like situation. It's just so, and like, I know it's like from the character's perspective and it's like a hallucination and it's not supposed to be, uh, I don't know. It's, it's not like it's, it's not like they really think it's Tupac saying this stuff. So yeah, didn't finish. Wasn't good totally out of my wheelhouse not something i would have uh really liked but if you like narratives about sound rags to riches soundcloud rappers uh and synthetic drugs uh hey go check it out what else did you watch so the next film then strawberry mansion uh-huh um which a has a soundtrack by dan deacon which i immediately noticed within like five minutes <laughs> <laughs> I was like, who's doing the soundtrack? I was like, I know these beeps and blorps. <laughs> um, and it's by directors Ken Tucker, Oddly, and Albert 
Bernie, who've done a lot of other weird movies that have been on my like to watch list for a while, including this like animated film called Tux and Fanny. Uh-huh. And the the basic premise is that it's like fake fantasy sci-fi where this guy is like a dream auditor because they collect taxes in this world on dreams and they're all recorded to VHSs and there's like inserted advertisements in your dreams. So Whoa. he goes to so he goes to meet with this woman Bella who's kind of been like living off the grid as it were to like audit her dreams. But then as he's like watching them, you know, there's all these weird things that are going on. It feels like it should have come out in like 2004. Uh it's not bad. But I really wish it wasn't like, and now the movie is about this quirky love story with a woman's dream version of dreams, past self that you are now in love with and learning uh, to appreciate life while also her family is attempting to murder you in real life. Because <laughs> everything else about the film is great. It's just that like, there's just so much of the film that's given up to stuff like that. That's just like quirky, quirky stylistic romance. And it's like, I've, I've seen that movie a thousand times giving it like the modern net art vaporwave aesthetic. There's even a scene where there's data moshing. Um, huh. Really, really doesn't like make that story inherently compelling. Mm. Uh, the, the main actor uh, who is director Kentecker oddly has like a good, like Ryan Gosling kind of thing going on where he's very underreactive, but he's really good at like the, at like not being super expressive, but still conveying a lot in that. Uh-huh. Uh, so I, I like want to check out some of the other stuff they've done. I was just like, Oh man, there's so much good promising stuff in this. And then it just becomes like, the 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 worst kind of Charlie Kaufman sort of writing about like women and straight romance. Mm, yeah, I that's that's difficult. I mean, that's always difficult. I don't think heterosexuality inherently has to be um kind of boring, but I think there is like a twee form and like you know kind of um a very a very like twee and like less personable way that's let uh, that heterosexuality can be done uh or or you know portrayed in like indie films that's like not <laughs> that doesn't doesn't really strike me as very like romantic or like equal like you know both partners being on equal footing and like i i don't know those narratives are really really dicey yeah no like exactly like it's not that like oh another movie about straight people like that's not what the problem is the problem is that like it's not a good movie about straight people and it kind of does that thing where it just sort of assumes that the the interesting development of the film is going to be enough to keep you invested right and it just i just lost interest i lost interest like once it started becoming that um i i i if i were to give a thing where i'm like this is what would really help i think if it was like more of the film was given up to the weird slow build that something is weird and something is off because pretty early on in the film, when he gets to a place, he kind of starts like, like he starts having like bleed over of dreams into reality. And there starts yeah. being stuff that like loops around. Like there's a moment um, that kind of, kind of comes like halfway or so through the film where he's watching one of her dreams. And then he is in her dream 
but it's a dream from like 20 years ago. So like there's, he shouldn't be there. Oh, weird. Cool. Yeah. Like when it does stuff like that, it's like, this is really cool. It's like really interesting. And then it kind of gets stuck in either like over explaining it or like I said, it just kind of gets sidetracked with just being like a romance film. And it's like, oh, but you've set up this like really like interesting movie. Like you've set up this like really interesting world and this interesting aesthetic and everything. And then you're kind of just like using that to tell the 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 most basic like meet cute story possible. Yeah. I mean like dream stuff is so fucking cool and like the idea of just like having a bunch of VHS tapes that's like the dreams from your entire life is like wow. That is very easily a fucking awesome movie. Uh so it's you know it, it it's a little disappointing that it's kind of uh, you know one of those a little bit more of a cloying example I guess. Yeah, yeah. There, there is some like, I I do like the bit that when he's in one of her dreams that he's reviewing, they bring him out some like fried chicken and she like doesn't respond to it. And then it's like glitching and like staticking out. And then he looks around and he notices that everybody has a bucket of fried chicken that's like glitching and staticking out. Oh, um, weird. And so when he asks her about it, she's like, oh, that's probably because it's not supposed to be there. And he goes like, what? And she's like, yeah, when I sleep, I wear this thing that that she basically has dream ad blocker. She, she basically invented dream ad blocker in this universe. That's and she awesome. talks about sleeping with it on. And so she's like, those are probably ads that were blocked. And he's like, they don't put ads in our dreams. And she was like, like, it's funny because like one of the first scenes of the film is him having like this weird nightmare. And then this guy walks in and he's like, don't worry, I've got you. And he puts down like name brand bucket of chicken and like name <laughs> brand soda. And he's like, we've always got you. And then he wakes up and he's like, oh, you know, I kind of want to get some chicken. So oh it's like, God. it's really funny that she's just like, did you not notice that like, there's ads in your dreams and he's just like i've never noticed that like i thought that was like a funny bit and then to just have her be like oh yeah like i invented ad blocker for sleep because because i didn't (laughs) want dream i didn't want fucking like ads in my dreams awesome super good that's 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 a really amazing touch i oh damn yeah i i might actually seek this one out because like i don't know it it just there, there's it, it sounds like there's enough kind of novel ideas that it's like uh, i don't know I, i'm I'm more interested i guess in, in how they uh i guess in how they fuck it up but you know that that also isn't I, giving the, the movie an honest chance but eh, whatever I, I i will say absolutely worth watching even just because like visually it's a feast like it's it's really fun seeing somebody capture like capture that like tumblr like vhs gif aesthetic oh yeah in a movie and they do a really good job of that there's also some like just very funny scenes there's like a part where he's having like a wide awake nightmare after uh the because the the old woman passes away um and so he's having a wide awake nightmare about um them also trying to kill him and like the dad just walks in and he's like you've been a and but he turns into a werewolf and he's like you've been a bad boy and so he like escapes out and he goes into the kitchen and like uh his wife is like a witch stewing a giant pot and she goes like can i help you and he's just is like uh, i've been a bad boy 
<laughs> and then just all three of the like family members appear and they just start chanting like death to bad boys death to bad boys <laughs> and it's like it perfectly captures just like a mixture of like weird VHS films and also like just the fucking just, like way in which dreams don't make sense yeah I'm to be fair I'm constantly saying death to the bad boy Death to, de- death to it's it's death to all bad boys. They're oh, they're, they're, they're very boys. anti bad boys. Yeah. yeah, tut tut bad boys. Bad boys, you're on watch. <laughs> you're fucking on notice. I watched one more film, my final film for SIF 2021, and so under the open sky to kind of give a little bit of a quick description. Um, directed by uh, Miwa Nishikawa. It is about an ex-Yakuza, a sort of lone wolf kind of gangster guy who has spent 13 years. He's he's getting released from a 13-year sentence uh, because he killed a guy with a sword. It's kind of about his re-entry into society, and it's a lot about... It, it has a lot of um, story beats that are about, like, the conservatism of Japan and, like, how difficult it is for ex-cons and, like... Um, you know, how hard it is to, like, fit in and and all of this stuff. Uh, and it's also, there's also this undercurrent, undercurrent where he's trying to find, basically he was um, adopted. He was, like, basically immediately after birth, he was, like, given to a foster home, essentially. And so he gets out of prison and he's trying to see if he can find his mom. This movie is two hours and six minutes long. Mm-hmm. Um, it started to drag just a little, little, little bit, but I would say, like, really, for the most part, I had a great fucking time with this movie. Uh, the main character is like immediately very, very kind of understandable and likable. Um, in scenes where <laughs> he has all these scenes where he's kind of interacting with authority figures that are like all really good. Like at the beginning, he's kind of talking to these like guard guys at the prison, yeah. uh, and he is like. Basically, like, shouting all of these formalities, like, yes, sir! And, like, the guys are just talking to him in, like, normal voice, and they're just kind of dealing with his, like, sarcastic sort of bullshit. Uh, He does this thing repeatedly through the movie where he, like, does this, like, soldier walk while he's being escorted by someone somewhere. Um, Interestingly, he does it with the prison guards, but he also does it with his, like, driving instructor, which is really funny. (laughs) Um... And so, yeah, there's like all of th- that stuff. Um, I mean, basically, it's it's just a really, really fun, like, character portrait of a guy who's like really, really likable. A- and uh, there's just a lot of standout moments um, throughout. Uh, he there's this great scene where he like um, is trying to he's trying to sleep, essentially. And his downstairs neighbors are having this like land fighting game party. Uh, and they're being super loud and he goes down and he's like, hey, um, you know, try to sleep up there. If you guys could, you know, keep it down a little bit. Thanks. Uh, and then this guy kind of leans out from like an un- un- a hidden part of the room and he's like, what the fuck did you just say, you old bitch? <laughs> uh, and then so the main character is just like, all right, so you guys, uh, you know, keep playing. Don't worry about it. You come outside. And they're like standing in this like duel outside, and he's like, "Hey, what family are you from? What what part of the what part of the Yakuza are you from?" 
stop fucking around. Stop lying. Listen, just tell me which family you're from. And the guy just like, they like kind of bicker for a little bit, but the guy just like runs away. (laughs) And he, and, um, the main character Mikami like throws his sandal at him. And it's just this really fun kind of goofy sort of thing. Um, You know, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of boy stuff here. I would actually really, really describe this as a lads film because th- there's like these other like fist fight scenes between him and like other active like Yakuza members and like, you know, uh, just all this, all this really, really fun guy stuff. Um, and yeah, I, I, I had a, I had a really, really great time with it. I watched uh, The Dog Who Wouldn't Be Quiet. Uh, it, was, it was mids. Okay. I, it's honestly, I don't have a lot to say about it other than I thought it had it used black and white really well. It took me a bit to realize that the film was um, like jumping forward in time every now and then. Sure, yeah. Which is like kind of a kind of a knock against the film. <laughs> yeah, there's a part in the like the center of the film that I love, and I wish the film had more moments like it, where there's just a pandemic that's going on. <laughs> Oh great. But it's not I here's the here's the wildest thing. Pretty sure this movie was made before coronavirus. Um Yeah, that would make sense. But it just isn't commented on really. There's no like attention that's played to it. It's just there's like a time skip and suddenly all of the characters are walking around wearing like bubbles on their heads. Huh. And there and like there's like a whole tension he has with his wife about like getting us about like uh, using money that they were going to use on something else to get their child to suits. That way that there's no like possible long-term risks because kids can get it uh, and it won't kill them, but it can cause like long-term problems. Um, yeah. And then there's just a time skip again and it's like, oh, pandemic's over. <laughs> <laughs> very, well, I mean, very weird film in that way. Very much like, like this was definitely made before coronavirus. Very weird how much they got that correct. Yeah. Well, I mean, like it, it, it has a... 2021 release date so it's hard to say whether it was because i mean like it could have been shot in 2020 i guess but i don't know that that that's a really quick turnaround for something like that yeah i could even see it maybe being like maybe they were working on it and then like it happened so they inserted that into the film it did it, it, it literally premiered at sundance january the january of this year so they would have had to have like made it or at least like got those scenes filmed like within like probably like six months of the pandemic starting. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it's it's OK. Like I said, um, I, I am somewhat interested in Anna Katz's other work. Um, it, it didn't quite grab me, but I think honestly, a large part of that is just that like the, the main actor, because it's basically a character portrait, just like meh, wasn't wasn't very good. But the last film I watched, mm-hmm. uh, Topside, real, was- real fucking depressing. <laughs> but I did enjoy it. I, it's a film where I don't know if I'm going to be able to recommend it in the sense of like without going back and rewatching it at some point because it honestly might have just been that it just like it just hit because I was like, oh, that real, that's real though. Um, yeah. But basically, it's about a woman named Nikki and her daughter, Little, who live in the, like, abandoned, like, 
uh, underground stations of New York City, which apparently is like a real thing. Like that's actually like there are massive homeless communities literally just living under the city. Yeah. Uh, and it's sort of implied that like her daughter has lived there like kind of her whole life. Because uh, there's this like thing where she'll talk about like, oh, when you get your wings, then we can go live above ground. Um, the mother is like shown to be like struggling with addiction. You know, she's had to do sex work to survive. There's men in her life who kind of oscillate between trying to like help her and her daughter and trying to like exploit her and her daughter. There's all these like really painful scenes where anytime she interacts with another person, she's trying to control the situation as much as possible and prevent them from calling literally any attention or public services to them because she knows that if that happens, like that, that's it. They're, that She and her daughter are just going to disappear into the system. Yeah. 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 Um, and it kind of all builds up to at the end of the film uh, she loses her daughter at the train station because she's getting onto a train and she's like kind of fading in and out and she like pukes and then her daughter steps back because of it and the train door shut. Oh shit. So she like is panicking and freaking out and she like spends all this time hunting her down and finally she finds, she gets on a train while she's like been running around from station to station because her daughter didn't stay at the station um, and she sees what she's pretty sure is her daughter like sleeping under a bench in the train and she just like locks up and like goes outside and like approaches a cop and is like hey i think there's a child like lit sleeping on the subway train who's like who's like doesn't have a parent and like needs help and like that's how the film ends is is basically with her like oh. having to put her daughter in the system because she's like reaches a point of just like of like I can't do this anymore either selfishly or just like this isn't fair to my daughter like it's yeah. just it's such a just like it's such a painful scene because you can tell that it's like it is like the one decision she has spent the whole film trying to avoid doing and in the end she just like has a moment of like this is like I can't keep running from this we can't keep running from this like this is the only way she has a shot of like a better life it's such a, it's such a like real as fuck film. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, uh, the whole, the whole like, uh, police, you know, sort of raid where they evict homeless people from a random fucking place. Uh, that's de definitely real. And definitely they do crackdowns like that in the fucking dead of winter. So, so that you just go outside and you fucking die. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's what happens in the film. Is that like they, they, that happens to them. Um, one of the, the, the guy who I believe is John is his name, um, who like, she's one of the people she's been staying down there with kind of yeah. like takes heat from the police so that she and her daughter can escape. Um, mm. uh, a thing that I'm learning about John from looking at the letterbox for this movie actually yeah. is that he's played by fat lip. Yep. <laughs> which is crazy. <laughs> yep. Uh, that's awesome. He's he does a really good job in it. Like he he is he's yeah. a very good actor in this film. Honestly, great performances from like everybody. Um, Celine Held, who plays Nikki, has this just like every long time listeners know. I love uh unhinged women. Of course, just great frantic energy of just like a woman whose life is like who's just has like a shit life and has had to do like so many awful things to survive desperately trying to like keep a hold of a situation that like she that is entirely subject to the whims of like 
a cruel poverty system. Um, yeah. Her daughter, uh, Little, played by Zalia Farmer, uh, also does like a, a very great job of just playing this sort of like quiet kid. I feel like it's kind of implicitly suggested that she might be like some sort of like neurodivergent, like possibly like mildly like on the spectrum or something. There's definitely these just like moments where she it's it, it sort of suggested that like, oh, like there's something up with your kid, but like you're homeless. You don't really have time to think about or worry about that. But like when they first go above ground, she gets like overstimulated and like starts freaking out. And like uh, she's like Nikki is desperately trying to like both swayed like and control that while also like not have attention drawn to them because they're very clearly a homeless mother and daughter. Yeah. Mm. That's very, so... very intense film. Uh, but I, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, yeah, I would actually, if, if you like that, I would probably recommend heaven knows what, which is a Safdie brothers movie. Um, yes i was actually gonna say it it put me in the mood to watch heaven knows what because it, it reminded yeah. me a lot of like the the sort of safety formula for lack of a better way to put it yeah 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 heaven knows what is fantastic uh just a blanket recommendation of that uh and also the film top side from yeah. seth uh there's a there's a great line that i i wrote down for my review where it's like um and it's from a guy who i think ends up being like super predatory if i remember correctly he's like an ex-dealer for nikki but he's like uh he sees her daughter like staring out a window and he's like trying to be like you know like uh trying to be like some semi paternal towards her so he's like Uh oh what are you staring for and she's just like oh i don't see stars i thought i would see stars out here and he just goes like oh well you know all the lights in the buildings they outshine the stars but you know they're still there like they're up there and like that's such a like, oh, such a like the the kind of like because it's delivered in a very like, uh, like dude who sells drugs <laughs> way. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's it's still very much so just like oh, like just this like attempt to explain why she can't see the stars and explain light pollution to her, but be like, well, don't worry, but it's still up there, and just like how much it's like he's trying to give her this sense of hope even in like a pretty hopeless situation, all things considered. Yeah. Yeah, that shit is always so fucking rough. I hate America. Yeah. With my entire heart. Always, forever. How's the houseless now? I, bitch. Genuinely insane to me. That, oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that this shit just happens a hundred thousands of millions of times a day. Having to literally be afraid to get help because getting help means getting pulled into a system that will not help. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that was Sif. Yeah, that was Sif. We saw some good ones, saw some clunkers, uh, had the time of our lives over the internet. Truly it was the Seattle International Film Festival. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, yeah, uh, keep keep tuned in. Uh, subscribe and like and all of that fucking shit i'm supposed to say if you haven't already uh and we also i should let you know have a patreon with a patreon exclusive show that we do called film critters throws it back where we talk about films from bygone eras and years past and this month's movie that our patrons voted for is kiss kiss bang bang so that's going to be in uh the pipeline um I'm excited for Jay to watch it. Yeah, I'm excited uh, to revisit it, having not seen it since 
like literally high school. <laughs> yeah. Um I have some thoughts about it, I guess. Uh but yeah. <laughs> that's gonna be a thing. We stream. Follow us on uh Twitch. I'm Jay Bearhat. I'm Baru with six O's and two R's. And two R's. And we People forget uh, the second R. I don't, I don't know why. That's weird. I feel like that's essential to understanding the to pronounce yeah. the name correctly. Baru. Baru. We have the Discord. Uh Do we have the Discord? If you also join our Patreon, there you get exclusive, exclusive uh Discord channels to talk about stuff in. Including yeah, the Throws It Back episodes. Yeah. Can talk with the the elite of uh the film critter society and you know, just hang out with them. And with us, I guess. <laughs> yeah, we're not the elites, let's be clear. <laughs> <laughs> we we aren't it's it's a, it's our followers in there who are the real ones. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Discord people. You're all so wonderful. Yeah. And you can be wonderful too, dear viewer, listener, person. Uh, thanks for listening to us talk about eight uh, a thousand movies for two hours. <laughs> yeah. Ten, gonna... ten bar ten movies, ten bars, ten seconds. <laughs> um yeah, I'll I'll probably I'll 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 be whittling this down, I guess. But thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for joining us, everybody. We will see you on the top oh, side on the oh on the dark side on we'll see you under the open sky huh huh we'll, we'll see you when uh, a movie comes out that we actually want to go see <laughs> oh yeah that's yeah that too all right thank you for listening bye bye